How you doing today, Brian? Uh, today we had a uh, your friend Shirley Hayes on. Yeah. You wanna uh, let us in about a bit of the insights and uh, your favorite parts of the conversation today? You bet. Well, part of what I love about Shirley is she's not bashful uh, in any of uh, uh, the information that she puts forward, and and you know we had I think a, a very open and candid conversation about diversity in the workplace, uh, which is something that. Uh, it's it's a theme that we see uh, culturally, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just on a routine basis now, and uh, and it seems to be part of the public conversation. So, I'm personally really thankful that Shirley got to be uh, a representative with us on the program today. Um, she's so articulate, and you know, she's had a great professional career in broadcast media herself. So, um, even just listening to her voice is incredibly soothing. <laughs> you know, it has uh same same uh broadcast presence as you do there, Brian. You know, the the late night DJ um voice, you know, just, just made for radio. The you know, the perfect uh dictation and pronunciations of everything where where I don't, but <laughs> Well, and I, I love that she uh calls herself a chief magnetic guru also. I think it says a lot about her personality. Um but uh it, you know, it was great just kind of covering topics ranging from uh, the history of what's happened in broadcast media, uh, particularly in radio and, you know, evolution of satellite radio, internet radio. I have mm-hmm. to talk a lot about um, just the changes in uh, the technology from analog to digital uh, in that field, um, but then really broadened it out into conversations that I think are incredibly relevant, um, you know, both uh, for us socially as well as in the workplace. Um, when it comes to, to women, in uh, the professional workspace uh, in particular, but just diversity in general. So I'm thrilled uh, that uh, Shirley got to join us today. Awesome. With that, uh, let's just uh, step out and let everyone listen. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Lead.exe. I'm Brian Comerford in Denver, Colorado. And I'm Nicholas Ono in Washington, D.C. And today we're thrilled to be joined by our special guest, Shirley Hayes, who has one of the most unique titles that I've ever come across. She is Chief Magnetic Guru, uh, (laughs) which I think is a first for me. But, you know, I can't wait to to learn more from you about what that means, Shirley. (laughs) And just when you thought you'd heard it all, (laughs) I pop into your life. Well, it's, uh, first of all, thanks for letting me uh, sit down and, and have a chat with you guys. I really appreciate it. Um, this should be a lot of fun. And if it isn't, I'm going to post about it on LinkedIn. So there you go. <laughs> all right, You've been warned. We've been warned, You've Brian. Been warned. <laughs> right. Keep it fun or else. There you go. <laughs> well, uh, Shirley, uh, you know, like me, uh, we both share background in broadcast media uh, going back a few years and um, Good one. Uh, in, in, in fact uh, you know sort of starting out in the same place uh, on the FM airwaves and moving into uh, more of the digital broadcast medium uh, you know for myself internet radio ended up being a big part of the 1990s for me um, and I know that you uh, really uh, helped forge some pioneering paths uh, with some of the program direction work that you did for XM Satellite Radio. What, yes. uh, what kind of got you into broadcast and, and, and what's kept you in it 
uh, for as long as you've been involved doing it? I actually got into it um, by accident. Um, my college roommate, she wanted to go into uh, broadcast journalism. And I, at the time, was driving my parents completely crazy because every other week I was changing my major. And they were like, you know, please figure it out. It's costing us money here. So um, she came back to uh, the dorm room one day and she said uh, a radio station, it was a campus station, but it was a commercial station, um, was going to do a contest to write in 25 words or less why you wanted to be a disc jockey. And I said, oh, okay, you're going to do that. She said, no, I I don't think I'm going to do that. So when she left the room, I'm sitting there and I'm going, well, I got nothing else to do. So I just wrote up something and made it up. I counted up the words. Honestly, I said, okay, that's that's at least 25. And I sent it in (laughs) and didn't think any more about it and got a call um, a couple of weeks later, about five in the morning. The morning guy called and says, is this Shirley Hayes? I said, yeah. He said, "Um, you won the contest. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, what contest? The the." The be a DJ contest. Can you come down right now? You're supposed to be on my show. Didn't you get my messages? I'm like, no. Where are you? Who are you? Um, I'd never listened, didn't have any idea. And I got down there and I'm sitting there and he gave me some copy. He said, well, okay, well, do you want to be on radio? I said, no, I don't even know what, what I'm supposed to do here. And he says, well, here, read this. Okay, and I started reading it. He said, no, 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 you have to wait till I turn on the mic. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Turns on the <laughs> mic, and I start reading it. And when he closes the mic, he goes, you really should think about doing this. I said, oh, okay. And the first thing I fell in love with really was the production side and creating the stuff. I didn't really care about being a disc jockey at that time. And, and my parents, they weren't too crazy about it either. And I called and said, hey, I know what I want to do. I want to do radio. <laughs> My mother goes, oh, that's that's nice. And my dad is going, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, you can't get a job with that. Like, ugh. But um, long story short, um, that career went on for 20 plus years. Uh, so cool. So when you say that you really got into the production side, talk to us a little bit about that. What was, uh, what was it that kind of? Well, back in the olden days, that's when you still had a razor blade and some uh, reel-to-reel tape. And um, (laughs) I was fascinated that you could record any kind of sound. You could create pictures with with audio and then cut them up and put them together and create a new story. And I just thought that was just amazing. And I would spend hours in there just, you know, pushing buttons and cutting this and doing that and it was, it was just, it was an awesome to me. I love that. Nick, aren't you sorry that you haven't learned how to do all of that? <laughs> <laughs> I've done audio production, but, uh, you know, that's uh, normally a digital audio workstation. Yeah. Done a small amount of, uh, you know, actual tape razor blade work in you the nineties, but you know, I, I wasn't getting paid to do it. So. <laughs> <laughs> What's well, interesting though is even with those audio production tools, uh, the, uh, the techniques and the approaches um, that are implicit in the tools, they're still most of the same ones that we used back in the day with mm-hmm. tape, razor, and a wax pencil. Yeah, yeah I would just... say now, you know, uh, Brian, you and I were talking about this earlier, that music's very loud 
these days. <laughs> it's mixed very loud. So, um, but sorry, Cheryl, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, I, I, um, I'm right there with you with that. But I think for Christmas, Brian, you should get Nick, um, find an old reel to reel player on eBay, get him some razor blades and a grease pencil and uh, see how much you can do with that. Well, I'll tell you what, I, uh, am in my, uh, 30th year of, uh, broadcast, uh, and started off, uh, very much in the same place, you know, uh, reel to reel, uh, that was <laughs> where it was at creating carts. Uh, I got really fast, uh, at doing <laughs> it. I was really good at layering in a lot of different, uh, voices and production techniques. And that really greased the skids for me to have, you know, a very lucrative career doing commercial production. Awesome. Because um, ironically, a lot of other people, you know, in, in the stations that I was working at, they weren't interested in it. You know, they wanted to be the on-air personality. They mm. wanted to be doing, you know, all of the uh, broadcast announcing. And they didn't really care about all the mechanics that went into the commercial production, which is uh, kind of like what you're saying, Shirley. I, I really gravitated towards that. And, um, you know, over the years, seeing the evolution of those tools into things like SoundForge and, you know, uh, Audacity. I mean, you've seen all of these, you know, tools that have emerged over time that really when you look at what they're doing, they have taken the same type of approach that we would typically use with a razor, right? Mm. To cut yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I was actually thrilled when digital editing came on the scene. I just thought, oh, man. I was just like a kid in a candy store that was just um, like, this is so cool. Um, the um, But there's something that you you mentioned, and I oh, I lost my train of thought. But, okay, we'll come back to that. Carry on. <laughs> this is, what, this is what you have to look forward to, Nick. <laughs> That's right. Well, uh you know, I, I still do uh, community radio production. So believe it or not, there are still reel-to-reel tape machines. And uh, I did wow. actually have one, one of the younger DJs ask me once, do you know what these are for? Because <laughs> 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 I don't think you'd ever actually seen them running. So uh, <laughs> the idea that they could be used for something, I think, kind of eluded him. Well, uh, I, my, my cousin's, um, I think he's eight years old. And she has this huge vinyl collection. And he pulled one out one day and he said, wow, this is like the biggest CD I've ever seen. <laughs> Where do you find a player this size? <laughs> exactly. Oh, he, oh, he's, he was uh, fascinated. And then when she actually showed him a, a turntable, oh, he's, he's all in now. It's like, oh, he loves it. He thinks it's just cool. But. Well, it's a, you know, it's funny, uh, you know, because Nick and I were just talking about uh, production dynamics with uh, audio production and how, uh, particularly with digital mastering tools, now there's just uh, a lot of opportunity to quickly push every sound to its maximum possible volume, mm. which does not give you a lot of dynamic range in what you're working with. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's uh, it's one of those things where, you know, we're, we're kind of caught between two worlds right now because there's been this whole movement gravitating towards 
uh, 180 gram virgin vinyl and lots of people, you know, buying vinyl and that's mm. the preferred recording medium now. And then the, there's this whole other side of digital audio production where um, the appreciation of all those analog acoustics that I think are inherent mm -hmm. in vinyl uh, mm -hmm. end up being blown out because it's <laughs> easy to just throw a, a pre-built filter uh, right. into an audio track and suddenly maximize everything that's there. Yeah. It, it takes the fun out of it. Um, I mean, it, it's it's kind of twofold for me. I love the, the techie side of things, but then there's some old school things that you just don't want to mess with, you know, let's just, just leave that part alone. But, you know, time goes on. Um, so. Well, and I think part of being, you know, uh, in it for the long haul, it's also what gives you some of that perspective uh, where you can have the appreciation for uh, having a sense of curation, right? About those things that you're bringing together. Oh, I would, I, I agree. Uh, 100%. Um, I remember when XM first started, um, the coolest thing, and I remember when I went in for the interview, I still had to, I had to wear a hard hat because they were still building the studios. <laughs> and uh, Dave Logan, this, and it was the best interview ever. He said, you know, just wear what you wear every day. I said, I had a sweatshirt and, some t and a t-shirt on and some jeans and puts a hard hat on, takes me down to the production floor. They're hammering and shows me around, tells me what the goal is, tells me what the vision is of what they want to do. You know, and I'm already with my speech because, you know, you're ready for that one. You know, what can you bring to the table and tell me about yourself and where do you see yourself here? We get back to his office. He sits down. He goes, uh, oh, and here's the thing about the stock options. And I'm going, okay, and I'm ready for the, for the big questions. And he goes, so you want to work here? I wasn't ready for that one. And, <laughs> uh, I said, I already know your background and I know where, you know what, what you've done. And that was the best interview. Of course I took it, but the fun thing about that environment was the technology. Um, you would, you know, the, the, the production floor. I mean, when you get off the elevator, it looks like the the Starship Enterprise uh, broadcast <laughs> ops, you know, and all of the machinery. And there were seventy studios, and there was a um, a recording studio that could hold a forty piece orchestra, and um, and all of this these these computers and systems. And I was just like, wow, I love this. It it made going to work not feel like work. It was really a lot of fun. Um, and all of the things that we got to learn on the, on the technical side, it was just, it was just phenomenal. It was just an amazing, an amazing time. Um, and I remember, um, after a while you get comfortable, we used to, we used to do this thing when we'd bring artists in or if we had to do interviews, we would always take them to the most boring parts of the building first, <laughs> you know, take them to the where everybody would sit, the lunchroom and all of that. And they were like looking at their watch, like, really? Um, one artist in particular, Mick Fleetwood, I had to interview him. And I go down to, to get him and he's looking not happy to be there. You know, I, you know just one <laughs> of those days, I guess. So, you know, we go to the boring floors and then I take him down to the production floor. And as soon as the doors open... It was like, uh, 
he just <laughs> it's like all these lights started going on you can almost see him flickering around in his head and he's grinning from ear to ear he's moving around and he's just now he's just non-stop chatter and it was let me see this and let me see that and he totally relaxed um all that technology just just grabbed him and um so it wasn't just you know uh, really cool for us but it was always cool even for the musicians who you know been out there forever um and it, it surprised a lot of them it was always pretty cool but when it came to uh, the, the reason we're here, women and, and technology. Um, back then, uh, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was a pretty huge programming department because there was, uh, at the time, 100 channels. So if there were 50 or 60 program directors, about five of us were women. Mm-hmm. And... Um, when it came to the board of directors and 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 middle and upper management, uh, it was dominated by by men. You can yeah. imagine the environment was a bit of the wild wild west in there, um, with all that testosterone in there. It was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it made for some very interesting moments. Um, our IT department was all male, you know. Um, and all of the production guys, which Lee Abrams called the audio animators, which I th- always thought was a brilliant title for uh, production guys, they were all male. <laughs> and um, I don't know what that ratio is now, and I hope it's much better, but that that wasn't the exception. I mean, even terrestrial radio stations, I only, I've only known two at the time female uh, chief engineers. And, but even then they, they had, you know, they, they, they caught a lot of issues from uh, male general managers. Like, can you, can you really do this? You know, are you sure? Or I'm like, why wouldn't she be able to do it? Um, it was just always this, this subtleness uh, about the ability of, of a woman to do those kinds of things, to execute on the mm-hmm. technical side. For me, I thought that was always strange. Um I, I I don't look at someone and think, well, you know, can they do this? I just assume that you can because I know I can't. So you're the expert. So, you know, do what you do. But uh, there was a lot of that back then. And I think it still goes on um, industry-wise, not just in radio, but we know it goes on in, in other sectors. And the, the tech industry is trying to make that correction. And I think it was, and uh, you can correct me on this, but I think it was Amazon that had the issue with uh, their AI going through the resumes and they, they figured it out that it was actually eliminating women based on the way it was set up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that had been going on for over a year or so before somebody realized, Oh, this is a problem. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, as, as, as technologically advanced as we've become, uh, we still seem to be fumbling along here when it comes to women and, um, diversity in the workplace it is still is a conversation that we keep having but it seems to still be limping along so let me ask you a question about that because it's interesting you uh led into your story about your interview process at xm and that it was you know i mean it was pretty much a here's here's the place here's the role do you want to come on board um, so to a degree, it sounds like 
there was a welcomeness and an openness uh, when you uh, when you first got the gig, um, but then you found yourself in an environment that was, you know, incredibly top heavy uh, <laughs> with men in the workplace. Um, so talk talk to us a little bit about that. You know, what uh, do you think there was an openness and there just wasn't talent, or were there other obstacles, or was it just you know there was an openness to you? What do you what do you think contributed to that? To the openness or the the lopsided lopsidedness of the numbers or just the fact that uh, it seemed like the opportunity was an open door for you um, and yet once you uh, found yourself at Mm -hmm. the organization uh, it it obviously hadn't been an open door for uh, a lot of other females in the workplace Um, I think there's two parts to that Um, one part is I think a lot of women probably did not apply in the numbers that men did, because I think then, and there, it probably still goes on now, um, especially probably more so then, a lot of women weren't prepared for it. Second of all, uh, because, and I say that because the women that I had worked with up to that point and after that, they all wanted to be on air and I've been in situations where I would go to a, a female um, colleague and say, listen, she was on air and said, let me show you some technical stuff because you need to be able to do all of this stuff. Make yourself more valuable. And the pushback was unbelievable. I just want to be on the air, you know. Uh, I said, you can be on the air, but just know how to do this stuff. So I think some of it is fear of not knowing what to expect Uh, Am I good enough? Do I have the skills to to get in there and do this? Um, And that's that's kind of unfortunate because it was also an environment that was a a positive learning environment. They knew they had a lot of technology that a lot of us had not seen before. So they took steps to make sure we had we were trained um, on every system that we had to deal with, because there were quite a few we had to deal with on a daily basis. So I think that's one side of it. The other, as far as the openness, openness of the the interview, um, they knew from my resume what I had done. They had talked to people. You know, they they knew all that part. So there was no reason to question whether or not I could do the job. the The issues came when you have a bunch of um, wonderful guys who um, are not used to working around women or they forget they're around women and they do things and say things that are inappropriate. And then you go to them and say, that's inappropriate. And some of them just look at you dumbfounded. Like I have no idea why that's inappropriate. So there was, there was a lot of that um, that had to be um, tamed for lack of a better word. Uh, But it, it, for somebody else, it might make them uncomfortable. Um, and there were some some things that happened uh, along those lines that should not have happened. But there were people who just were not used to um, acting in a certain way and certainly not around women. Um, but it, it got dealt with and things got much better after that. Well, we you know, here we are at the... I think the pinnacle of the me too. Yes. Yes. Right. So, so I, you know, I think that part of 
what might be quote unquote getting better about it is that there's an awareness and there's an awareness on uh, both sides of the gender uh, mm-hmm. equation. There's also a social awareness while where now the conversation is actually starting to take place. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Right? I would agree with that. And I'm happy that that's happening. Um, mm-hmm. There are, there are some, there, there's still some, some, some uneasiness because now you have a lot of, uh, and some of them are my friends who have said, you know, I'm all for women being equal and all this kind of stuff. But some of them express, but I don't know what to say now. I don't know if I can say this. I've even had a friend call me and say, can I say this? Is this going to be offensive? I'm just going, dude. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's. I mean, I can, I can, um, I, I can understand that. I, I, Brian and I were talking to uh, a guy who was a CIO somewhere probably out in the Midwest, right, Brian? And um, he was talking about when he interviews, you know, uh, females. Um, for technology type positions that are highly technical, he tends to think that he's not as tough on them mm. as he is males. Where he's like, okay, well, I see you're on this team. Um, mm. <laughs> you know, he's like, where if I see a male, he's like, well, tell me what you did on that role. Were you actually doing something on that team or, or were you just part of that team? Tell me exactly mm. what you did. Right. So I, I think, um, you know, we, we've kind of seen that spur across in technology too, right, Brian? Um, where, you know, it's a typically male dominated field. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we're, we're trying to make sure that we're being more self-aware um, with everything that's going on. Yeah. I think we're kind of inching through a period of integration where, mm-hmm. you know, there's still some uncertainty about what's the right way to behave. Um, I think that there's, uh, you know, kind of depending on the, uh, how uh, how much integration you've needed to undertake as an individual mm-hmm. in your own personality mm-hmm. um, might actually be one of the barriers to uh, you know actually having uh, more of that uh, open uh, kind of mindset so that you know things do flow a lot more naturally um, versus uh, kind of like in your example, Nick, where um, you know someone who's in a hiring position feels like they have to interact differently. Uh, you know, because they're dealing with someone of a different gender. Um, you know, it's, uh, I think it's a turning point um, where, again, you know, the fact that we're in the midst of a lot of what's going on with the Me Too movement, uh, it's just one indicator of it, you know. Um, uh, Shirley, you and I uh, chatted a little bit, just exchanging messages around uh, the the moment of lift, the new book that has uh, come out by Melinda Gates, where she talks about Bonnie Ross, you know, who is a female leader at Microsoft. And in fact, uh, leads the development team for the most popular video game uh, that, that Microsoft has ever put out there mm-hmm. called Halo. And <laughs> she talks specifically around, I think her quote is um, diversity attracts diversity. Mm. And and part of what that means, you know, my interpretation at least is when you have a plurality of opinions and a plurality of perspectives, it makes your workforce Mm -hmm. stronger. It's part of what has contributed to making Halo the best of the video games, you know, in terms of sales that Microsoft has ever had, because it's not just this 
you know, narrow cast um, set of perspectives on what creates that entire experience for people. It's, it's got a really holistic and integrated perspective. Um, so I'm kind of curious, you know, I, you know, you've, you've been in the workforce uh, long enough to have gone through some of your own experiences and seen some of those transitions. Um, talk to us a little bit about, you know, where you see that getting better or is it, uh, are there areas where it's stagnating? Well, um, just as a side note, I'm a Grand Theft Auto kind of girl. So, you know, Halo. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I was sure. never a big Halo fan myself. Oh, anyway, cool, so cool. It's, it's okay. fist, fist bump to you, Nick. Fist yeah. bump there. Uh, <laughs> well, I I think on one hand, it's it's getting better. Um and I think because it's being forced to get better. Um, but anytime you, you force that, sometimes the results aren't always the way you want them to be. But the other part of that spectrum is I think women have to be louder about these things. They have to, when they're, if you're already in a, uh, a technical position wherever you are. Um, you can't just let things just roll as they go. You know, you, you've got to let your voice be heard. Um, and if, you know, someone questions your ability to do something, uh, you know, we can't have an emotional breakdown or meltdown or whatever. Because um, sometimes, I mean, and I'm a woman, I'm, I'm, you know, I know my species, we can take things a little differently. Um, we can be a little bit more emotional about things, not because we're just emotional creatures. I'm okay. Maybe we are, but, um, sometimes we just have to take a step back, look at the situation and say, okay, is this what I really think it is? Or is this something else that's happening? Um, and I say that because, you know, we're stereotyped that, yeah, you know, we're going to go off and cry. and, And I've seen quite a few guys have emotional meltdowns, um, you know, they just they just go in the corner somewhere. But um, all kidding aside, I, I really do think seriously that women just we just have to be more vocal within the workplace itself, and don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be afraid to to call something out. Um, a lot of times, women feel like they don't have the support to do that, uh, and especially if you're in an environment where, as a woman, you are the minority numbers wise. That's very difficult. Um, to find someone to, to give you that support. Um, sometimes our male counterparts don't know how to do that. They don't know what to say, or they (laughs) don't want to get involved, or they're not sure what to do. And a lot of times there isn't a protocol in place for that. There's, there's just nothing there. So she may feel so, um, alone in that situation that nothing ever changes. And the next thing you know, she's resigning and moving on to some someplace else yeah yeah that's uh i I think all of those things are uh, you know just very strong points to consider uh i've certainly seen my share of men who have had their uh, own emotional Mm -hmm. breakdowns sometimes very overtly and right in front of me (laughs) uh you know but uh, I think it. I think it goes back to what you're saying in terms of women need to be confident and being mm-hmm. louder, right? I, I think. I think men have been in uh, just in general uh, a very entitled uh, 
position for so long that uh, they're more comfortable with kind of anything. Goes, I agree. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an environment so, that they're used to. Um, but also when a woman is okay with being louder and, and speaking her mind and calling things out, she's not looked at the same way. Um, instead of, you know, she's not looked at as mm-hmm. just a, a strong leader. No, she's, you know, not that. <laughs> um, so th- that's <laughs> something that has to change. Um, you know, I completely agree with you. I, I know that when, you know, a, a, a male leadership figure is kind of aggressive and assertive, they're like, oh, he's a strong leader. Um, you know, he really knows what he wants and he just gets straight to the point. And when it's, what's a, when it's a female, it's like, oh man, I don't know what her problem is. She's, you know, (laughs) um, she's just, you know, always on top of my case. She always has something to complain about. So I, I can definitely always, um, you know, see that. And I, I, myself, I try to be aware of, of, um, you know, that in, in my everyday, you know, handling the people I try to handle um, the people that work with me exactly the same, no matter what. And I, I think you brought up a good point too, was um, having those uncomfortable uh, conversations right away, right before they get way out of control, exactly. um, which, which I think are helpful too. And, you know, if we're, we're talking to our staff and our people um, that we're leading, you know, it, sh- it should be okay for them to have uncomfortable conversations with us without fear of um, any type of recourse or, or revenge or, or something against them. Um, if there's an issue, I know, at least for me as a leader, I'd rather somebody just speak up and, you know, let me know. Maybe we don't need to air it out in front of everybody, yeah. but, um, you know, you know, sometimes I might say something that I'm not quite aware of. And I can definitely get you working in a male-dominated field before because I worked in the restaurant industry before I ever came to technology. And if you <laughs> want to talk about a male-dominated <laughs> industry, if anyone's worked in a restaurant, they know it's like working with a bunch of 15-year-old boys. <laughs> um, so so I, can, I can totally get it. And I, and I understand where you're coming from, but is there anything that we can do maybe as male leaders to kind of – put ourselves in those shoes or make ourselves more aware. I mean, for me, I'm not a female. I can't, you know, take your exact perspective, but is there anything I should be aware of that, um, you know, that, that I can make it easier for a transition or, or something that I should be doing? You know, uh, that's a great question. I think, um, I, I think a lot of guys just need to chill out, you know, just it, it's a woman. It's not an alien from another planet. Um, sometimes the, the, the expectations or or maybe preconceived notions that some men have about women is can really drive uh, these issues. Um, I can remember um, I was a program director for a radio station in a large me- metropolitan city. That's all I'm going to say. And um, we were in a, a sales meeting, and one of the salesmen. Uh, happened to be a, a guy. Um, he printed, presented some idea about some kind of promotion he wanted to do. And I'm, I'm looking at it. We've got this whiteboard up there and I'm checking it out and, you know, taking it in and so on and so forth. Long story short, I get back to my office. My general manager calls me and he's, he's laughing. He can barely finish a sentence. And I'm going, you know, what's, what's up? He said, come to my office. I get to his office. I said, what's going on? The sales guy came into his office after the meeting. He's ranting and raving, and it's like, I, 
this just isn't fair. And my GM goes, what's not fair? I can't read her. She had no emotion whatsoever. I don't know if she liked my idea or not. And that's just not fair. I'm sitting and this guy is just losing his mind. And my my GM said, well, what was she supposed to do? I don't know. They always have some kind of emotion, but she had nothing. I mean, this guy was just done. Wow. Because I wasn't showing, I don't know what I was supposed to show. Um, I was, I should have twirled or something. I don't know. But in his <laughs> mind, I, I just wasn't, he expected something different because I was a woman and that didn't happen. And from that point on, this guy barely had anything to say to me. He, he just was just totally freaked out. And my GM told him, you know, get over yourself. Uh, I had a great GM. Um, but he thought it was hysterical that this guy was freaking out like that, but it just kind of brings home even something as simple as that. Some guys, some men, maybe, maybe they're not used to working with women or they have this idea of how a woman should react to something. I don't know. That was the weirdest thing I've ever experienced. And on that level, um, but I got to imagine, well, I do know that some other things like that do happen, um, to other people and to other women. Um, But getting back to when it comes to the technology side of things, um, I've had my, my ability called into question, not because I did something wrong before it even started. Are you sure you can do this? Do you know how to do this? And I'm, I'm like, dude, I've, I've been doing this as long as you have it, you know, this, this isn't new. Um, and some, some guys just never come around. They, they just never change that point of view. Uh, and that's unfortunate because there, there's so much we can share. There's so much we can learn from each other. There's, there's so many, so much more we can do, but, um, not to get, I want to get back to your, uh, your question, Nick, um, um, about what can you do? I think it sounds like you're already doing it. Um, you're, you have to keep an open mind. You have to remember that even Uh though she is a, she, she's a human being. And, um, you treat that person, that female, the same way you would anybody else. Um, don't question her skill set because she's a woman. Don't, don't offend her by saying, uh, uh, sweetie, are you sure you can do this? That I hate that. Don't do the sweetie or honey thing. with. <laughs> yeah, I'd never do that. <laughs> I was like instantly, as soon as you said that, I was like, whoa, I would never say that. Well, nowadays, it's really, nowadays, it's, you're much more keenly aware. I'm like, oh, wait, nope. Back in the day, there was a lot of honey, sweetie, deer going on, and it was annoying then. It's annoying now. Um, but now, you know, I think people kind of tiptoe around things a lot. And you, you, But as a man, you should not have to do that either. You should not have to tiptoe around. Um, it, it really is about having, uh, as you said earlier, uh, conversations, having the right conversations, not being afraid to have those conversations. And if you're not sure, ask just ask. You know, the, uh, the book that I'm reading right now is Brene mm. Brown's Braving the Wilderness. Excellent. And uh, Brene Brown was actually recommended to me by one of our prior guests. And, um, you know, her position on authenticity, I think is just, it's, it's just yes. one of the best She's amazing. Uh, sort of presentations on the, on, on authenticity that I've ever read. And, um, 
in this particular book, part of what I love about it is it, it's so perfectly timed for what we're going through in America mm-hmm. as a culture currently, uh, especially when you look at the political mm-hmm. environment, you see what's happened with the Me Too movement, and it all ties back to exactly what you're saying, Shirley. It's the conversations, it's the uh, self-awareness. Um, you know, no one has to be timid in uh, their approach with anything, but we have to be authentic in asking the right questions so that we can engage in genuine conversations. Absolutely. That's the only way to actually get to a point of integration. With okay, you get a fist bump, Brian. You, you get one. That's that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> I love it. That was Thank so you. cool. And, and so true that that's, I, I couldn't have said that better. It's that's, that's it. Um and sometimes we have to get out of our own heads. You know, it we can overthink things uh, on both sides. Um, and sure. we just have to, and it's okay to make a mistake. Uh, well, sometimes it can be costly, but <laughs> you want to. <laughs> um, but I, I think if your approach is genuine and that goes back to being authentic, um, it makes a huge difference. It makes a, a, a really huge difference because there, there are some women that have been so jaded because over and over and over again, they've mm-hmm. had to deal with this, that now that that outer layer is so tough now. Now they're not trusting anything or anybody. And as genuine as you might be or or as authentic as you might be, she may go, nope, nope. So, you know, and that's just from years of being uh, pushed back. Um and some people just they they won't be able to come out of that. So unfortunately, that's that's the uh, the byproduct of of the things we've experienced, both as women and as a minority. Well, you know, I'm I'm what I'm what the, the double minority here, and uh, I've experienced yeah. it from um, being a woman and as as a minority. Um, and but. Maybe because of the way I was raised, I don't hold on to that kind of stuff. Um, I take it for what it is, and you work it out, and you keep going. Well, I I may have an advantage uh, in that, you know, I grew up thinking I had minority status uh, in my own family. Anyone who who knew my mother uh, and knows me, you know, would say that I I definitely take after my mother. Um, but I wasn't from Brooklyn like she was. So that was the first strike against me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's part of what gave her, uh, you know, a very tough, no nonsense, nonsense outer shell. Um, and, you know, a very, very sweet, loving person. But there was never a moment in my life that uh, I was going to get away with anything <laughs> with her. And, you know, certainly not uh, ever disrespecting a woman. Uh, that would never have flown. So for that, I'm thankful. Uh, I think it's part of what, you know, through my professional career has also uh, helped me work so well with a lot of strong female leaders. You know, again, I've, I've had sort of that uh, maybe a bit of an outlier, um, you know, kind of uh, professional experience because uh, most of my mentors through my professional life have actually hmm. been women. And, uh, and so uh, I think it may have helped, uh, you know, all those things combined, I think may have helped shape me to have a, a slightly perspective than what others of my gender uh, could be wrestling 
with at this point in their own professional Well, it's careers. it's obvious that both of you have had um, amazing women in your life in some form or fashion. I can tell that by the way you speak about women and about those um, and, and how you are, Nick, as you were saying, as a leader and how you treat people and, and Brian, uh, your openness to, you know, read somebody like, you know, Renee Brown is, is, um, is a testament to that. So um, maybe you guys should just, you know, lead the way. Um, <laughs> we're trying, we're trying. And, and show them how it's done because it's, it's, um, and it's refreshing. It really is refreshing. Um, so, you know, maybe you can, you can start a new trend in a big way. <laughs> I think, um, I think I think for me, I think Ed Ed Catmelf, who was the CEO and one of the founders of Pixar, has like the best quote. It's like, um, geez, I'm gonna look this up or else I'll butcher it. It's be authentic and consistent, and the trust will mm-hmm. come. Um, and I think a lot of times what's missing is just that authenticity authenticity that you were talking about, right? And being um you know, candid with people, having the tough conversations and, you know, trust is like a piece of paper, right? And when you crumple it all up, it's hard to make that paper flat the same way it was again. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, that's the way I see it. As long as we're, you know, just, you know, have trust in each other um, to to have those tough conversations um, and bring up issues when, when they seem like they're a problem. I have no problem having anybody on my staff, whether they're an alien. I, I just really don't <laughs> care. <laughs> I just really want, you know, people who work for me who are here to, you know, do good work while they're there, whether they're a man, woman, trans, gender, you know, whatever else Absolutely. we want to throw into it. Um, you know, I just want a great team of people who want to build great things and, and do great things. Well, if we can duplicate that mindset, we're, we're onto something here. Yeah. <laughs> well, you at least got one more up there. And, oh, uh, absolutely. Brian, so. that, that goes without saying. That goes without saying. Uh, I, I do think, though, that, well, that um, and I love that that happens um, whenever there's a, how should I put this? Whenever there's a, I try to stay out of the politics of things, but whenever there's a, a mindset that's counterproductive to the growth of, of us all, um, Madison Avenue takes it and turns it around on them. I have never seen so much mm-hmm. diversity on TV commercials now ever in my entire life. Yeah. And I, I and, mm-hmm. and not just with um, people of color, but everything mixed up because um, it's real life. That's what's going on in real life. And, but it's, it's at a level that I've never seen it before. And I think that's, great because so many people um a lot of their experiences depending on where you are in your life and where you live that's as close as they're going to get to those situations is what they see on television and the more they see it the more normal it becomes to them and it's not such a you know stare oh what is that kind of thing um and even even those there's a commercial uh i can't remember it's an online school i think it's uh an animated uh a woman she is working in a factory, computers take over, and then she eventually is beco- the IT. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's like a University okay. of Phoenix commercial, I think. I know what you're I talking that's, about. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That is, it's a great mm-hmm. idea. It's a great way to, um, to include women in that, in that industry. Um, but I think that's an industry where there's probably a higher number uh, 
on the on the tech side, wouldn't you say? Oh, the women are, are pretty prevalent in that in that area now. Yeah, I think more so than, yeah. than ever before. Uh, you know, and mm. I think a lot of it is, um, you know, it's with the amount of training that is now available. Also, I think it's one of those things that has um, just helped create a level set of the understanding that all of this mm-hmm. is teachable. You know, people are not born engineers. There are certainly people who have more of a proclivity towards that engineering mindset. Um, but, uh, when you've got, you know, platforms as versatile as something like Salesforce, mm-hmm. where, you know, the, uh, uh, one of the lead, uh, you know, points for the versatility of the platform is click mm-hmm. not code, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Then suddenly everyone has a, a different openness, I think to, uh, well, Hey, maybe this is something that I can do. So I, I think there's just a, a huge confluence of people who, you know, are really interested in, in approaching technology today than certainly I've ever seen uh, in the past. And, um, you know, I mean, even even my son, who's 11 years old, you know, he he comes home, he, he talks about programming as if it's just, you know, it's like learning. Right. It's just something that it's, does. That, <laughs> is, uh, that is so amazing uh, that it's so, you know, they're so nonchalant because it's just so normal. Um you know, I, I remember when I was maybe 14 and I'm really dating myself and Nikki will have absolutely no connection to this whatsoever. To what, being 14? Uh, no. Yeah, oh, come on. You can't be a day past 25. Oh, I so. love this guy. Um, it was, uh, I say, I remember saving up my allowance to buy a color computer from Radio Shack and they had these little cartridges. That was the the programming. Well, I loved Radio Shack, but (laughs) and I bought this little computer and I, I remember writing a little program. Um, because I told my mother, listen, I'm I'm gonna write you a program so that you can play the lottery, which she didn't play. She said, Is that gonna help me win? I said, I don't know. But it can pick some, you know, numbers at random and maybe you can win. And she said, Oh, okay, you know, I of course, she didn't win anything, but um, I remember <laughs> being so fascinated with uh, with technology, uh, and I started buying uh, all kinds of little computers and anything that came out. I, I just had to have it. I, I wanted to see uh, what it could do and how it worked. And thank God for my parents who didn't mind um, their daughter taking things apart because I needed to see how they worked. And their thing was. Just put it back together because we may need to use that later. Like, okay. Um, <laughs> they, you know. I was the worried. same way. Is that a Betamax? No one has oh, a Betamax. Let's tear this apart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's funny. I think you and I would have been great fans just ripping things apart and probably never Absolutely. putting them back together. <laughs> so we can use these parts for something else. Let's just put this over there. Um, but exactly. I, I think more... Um, more young women need to be exposed to um, to technology um, earlier and uh, and not be afraid of it later. Um, so, what's my thing? Well, you know, I have a friend who, who produces uh, episodes of uh, Sesame Street Creative Workshop, and uh, he and I were just talking just a couple weeks ago. It was really a reflection of your comment, Shirley, about. Uh, 
just the diversity that uh, Madison mm-hmm. Avenue is helping to drive in content. Now, um, my friend said, you know, it, it's really turning into Sesame Street culture everywhere <laughs> that you look in the media. And then the funny thing is he didn't even need to explain it. I knew exactly what he meant. You know, is, uh, that is a reflection of what you actually see yeah. in America. It's not this homogenized, uh, you know, very one world perspective exactly. any longer. And every time, every time I, I, you know, feel uh, jaded about the direction things are going, I, I reflect back on what the Egyptians referred to as the three epochs, right? The first was the age of Osiris, or the, the man, the father figure, right? Uh, or, or sorry, let me reverse that. The first was the age of Isis, right? The, the matriarch, and that's that's reflected in, you know, tribal society and a network of, um, you know, interdependent culture. And, and then that was subsumed by mm-hmm. the father, right? The, the, the patriarchal, the, uh, um, you know, the very unilateral um, sort of perspective. And then the third epoch is the, the age of Horus, right? Who's the child of Isis and Osiris. And that's the age of discovery or of integration mm-hmm. and synergy. And um, uh, we've actually entered into that third epoch according to their calendar, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that that's inspiring to me to think that uh, a lot of what may seem at times like we're taking a step backward, um, it's really just helping to elevate those things to the point of dialogue in our culture. And, uh, and once we get those things out into the open, that's where we can actually pivot and transform. Absolutely. Wow, that 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 was deep, dude. I'm stuff, thinking Brian? I'm thinking the like, same thing. Nick. I'm going. Yeah. This dude is deep. I want. Yeah, I know. It's like, oh, geez, man, he just broke some Doctor Phil down on us. Yeah, there I, I made a mental know? note. Google. You know, I'm like, wow. I mean, okay, wow, that's 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 pretty deep. Well, I'll, I'll lean on what my wife often says, which is, I'm a fountain of useless <laughs> information. <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't say that much. She just, she just, just like Wikipedia or something. Just broke that out. Of I know. I'm like, air. wow, like, Whoa, man. <laughs> okay. It's like that's a great, great All line. Right. I just, yeah. Well, well, <laughs> surely, can I ask? Have we had fun? Has this been fun? <laughs> this was oh, this was great. just fabulous, and I I thank you so much for um, inviting me to come along and and hang out with you guys. Appreciate it. Sure. And then I, I just got one question we ask all our guests here. So do you have a favorite book that you read um, or that you like to gift or maybe a piece of media or something that sticks um, out to you that's kind of had an influence oh, on you? Look, my, my Kindle is smoking at this point. Um, <laughs> I can't, I can't, it's not one book. And, and for me, I mean, books have always been a huge part of my life. Uh, huge. Even mm-hmm. I remember when I was about seven or eight years. Do I have time for this? Um, no, oh, go okay. for it. You have all the time you um, need. I was about maybe seven or eight years old, and I heard that the school district was going to burn some old books because, you know, they were falling apart and whatnot. And I overheard my parents talking about it. And I don't remember having a meltdown, but my mother said, you had a meltdown. Because I couldn't fathom them getting rid of a book. Rid of them. She said, sure. And I had a a red wagon. 
School was only two blocks away. And I took that wagon all the way down there. I filled it up, went home. I made about five or six trips. I had about a hundred books when I was done. And I remember, I remember sitting in the middle of my room, just going, Oh man, they didn't burn the books. I I just, just, I just, so (laughs) that being said, there's always been some kind of book in each part of my life that has had an effect on me that, that has caused, you know, something Mm. that has helped me do something. So it's hard to pick just one book. Um, Sure. No. Is there anyone that sticks out just to mind you that you you'd probably recommend for our listeners to listen to or, or read? Okay. Or, there, well, or... there's one book that's just on personal development. The other one is more of the technical thing. So, which one do you want? Sure. Either one. What whichever you you prefer. Um, algorithms to live by. It's the the computer science of human decisions. That oh, well. book is so amazing um if it's like it's like tech marries psychology and and just playing <laughs> human stuff it, it is the most amazing read um i've come across in a very long time i i love it um I'll have to check that one out highly recommend Seems pretty it. interesting you'll be blown away it's very thought-provoking to check that out. And I, I've just got one comment here. You're, you're talking about the books and that drives me back to, um, you know, that the, the library was going to burn these books cause they didn't have, right. was it space or something like that? Um, you're saying, and it, so in Detroit, maybe in, um, 2014 or something like that, the library hasn't a problem with funding, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, cause you know, they had the recession there and they closed a lot of the, you know, mm-hmm. auto plants there. So the library was having a hard time dealing with funding and getting money just to fund the public libraries there. So then they went out on this rogue campaign and they're like, we're going to do this anti-library campaign where we're going to burn the books. We're going to do a social media campaign to burn the books, um, come out to this book burning festival. And basically they went on this whole social media campaign with zero money. This was just like lower level people at a library somewhere in Detroit and they're like, oh, you know, how, how ironic, come out to the book-burning library and get a book bag to burn these books in. And it's just like you know, this whole thing. And what they basically went up doing was getting this social media huge following. People were like, no, no, books are information. There's knowledge in there. We can't burn those. Um, and it took just some kind of miraculous event like that. And I think Brian, I've shown that at one of our events there to show just just the power of information and, and social yeah, media was itself. but. Uh, but but I digress. It just reminded me of that. So just look it up, uh, you know, Detroit Library book burning, and you'll get. They did a whole little video about how they went through and did that it. Is it's brilliant. just brilliant. That's, that's that, wow. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. How do you turn the the public perception around on an issue that should be important to people, and you know, you're simultaneously being told, no, no, well, there's there's no funding available for you. We've got far more important things to do. And, you know, that's the power of that story to me is mm-hmm. they said, okay, you want to see how unimportant this is? Let's yeah. elevate yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's yeah. take it to that 11. That was brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Kudos. That was brilliant. Yeah. So if you get a chance, just check that out. I think, I think, you know, just you telling me that story, I think, I think you I would, would enjoy it. It's on it YouTube. Out. Absolutely. You can find um, it. YouTube mm-hmm. is my, one of my best friends. So I, I will definitely uh, check that out. 
<laughs> you, you mentioned a personal growth book as well. Is there another one? Yes, you thank you for mentioning that. Uh, the Power of Habits. Um, oh, yeah, I know that one. Yep. That is, it, it kind of, um, for me, when my, uh, when my dad was diagnosed with uh, Alzheimer's, um, that kind of got me into wanting to learn more about the human brain and, um, and then, then of course that went from that to psychology and, and human behavior and, and, you know, what's going on when we're making decisions and, and all those kinds of things. And, um, so when I came across, uh, that book, it, I just think it's a great book that teaches you how to work with your brain as opposed to against it. I think most people work against it and that's why they have so many issues. But when you, when you learn to, when you learn how the brain works and, and how those things are and how habits are created, it can change things. Um, literally it's like magic. Um, and it's a, it's a fascinating read. I, I love that book. One of my favorites. Well, thank you for both those recommendations and thank you for taking the time to join us. Really glad that uh, we were able to coordinate this and, and uh, your insights uh they're thought-provoking and you know just uh very welcome i think for a lot of what nick and i love to showcase on this program so really appreciate you being here with us today. yes sir. we really appreciate it and if people are looking for you where, where where they can where can they find you are you are you on the interwebs the social media i i live on the dark web i'm kidding um no no yeah okay well you know Poor browsers and yeah, that's that's uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I look, that's an interesting uh, that's another that's another show, guys. Um, <laughs> uh, there you, you can go. find it on there the dark web. <laughs> uh, I spend all of my yeah. uh, when it comes to social media. I'm a LinkedIn uh, girl. I I I don't do Facebook. Uh, nothing against Facebook It's just not my thing. Um, I love LinkedIn, and that's where you can find me. And you can message me there. You can connect with me. And um, that's where I am. So find me on LinkedIn. Awesome. We'll make sure we post a link to your uh, your LinkedIn page in, in our you. show I notes. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you guys having me on. This was a blast. Really. I really, really enjoyed you guys. Um, anybody else would probably think the subject matter, oh, these guys are going to be boring. You know, it's just you're going to be looking at your watch. And, Wondering how long is this going to last, but that wasn't the case at all. It was, uh, and I, I did, I'm, I'm kidding with you. I knew it no. was going to be, uh, it was going to be great. So, right. now you just had to handle with me muting. You know, for some reason in DC, it's a heavy ambulance police activity day, so I was constantly muting my computer. Well, having, having worked there before, um, yeah. I mean, the district is so tiny, but big at the same time. Um, there's a, there can be a lot going on. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I love exactly. technology. Uh, my business partners we're all, we're we're all in different parts of the world when we're meeting, um, which is so cool. And the new guys are with Denver, uh, the district, and I'm in Atlanta. Brian's Denver. You know, yeah, I, I love technology. Yeah. It it really allows you to be everywhere and and nowhere at the same time. Really. Um, so there you go. <laughs> Well, thank you. We really, really appreciate your time. Thanks for being on. Thanks for being on. Let's do this again sometime. Thanks, guys. Bye. For sure. Appreciate it. Thank you, Charlie.